0: Hello and welcome. I am Chris Rawl, and it is Wednesday, August 18th. On today's show, the impact one person can have on winning a championship and how losing is not always failure. Before we get there, I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal in every single state in the United States of America. Now, I'm going to bet Wisconsin minus 115 to win the Big Ten West in college football this year. And I know a lot of you are sitting there thinking, but Chris... Isn't the Nebraska Cornhuskers your favorite team within the Big Ten West? Yes. Yes, they are. And about 30 minutes before this show started recording, I received word that Nebraska is under NCAA investigation for doing who the hell knows what during the pandemic. And out of the pandemic, it doesn't matter. The point is Nebraska's football season is crumbling before it's even began, as it tends to do half the time over the last 20 years. And the other half, they wait until the first week of the season. This year... I'm taking an alternate path. I'm betting Wisconsin to win the Big Ten West because Wisconsin is going to have probably a top five defense. They have a great defensive coordinator in Jim Leonard. They have a stable program under Paul Crist. They know how to run the football. They have an incredible selection of bratwurst and fried cheese curds in Madison, Wisconsin. Two things that I value greatly, very scrumptious treats. We also have a reason why gambling should be legal in every single state because it will give you and especially me An alternate path to enjoying Big Ten West football when my actual team season is over before it has even began. And now, sports with Chris Roll. (music) Winners win and losers lose. Something I repeat a lot on this show that represents kind of a foundational belief or how a lot of fans and media watch and cover the world of sports. It's pretty simple. If you are the best player, you should win. It's what a lot of people believe when it comes to the realm of sports. Uh, I always push back against that. My stance and my mindset is always, no, it's never this simple. There are way too many things that go into how a game is won or lost or how a playoff series is won or lost. To distill it down to one individual and their impact upon that specific game or series. I always push back against the winners-win, losers-lose crowd. However, it's kind of an uphill battle because, again, I think a lot of casual fans believe this because of how media coverage shapes the way that sports are consumed. And I also think a lot of people who follow sports pretty closely still believe something like this, something that those of you who listen to this show know that I find to be very frustrating. So, today I want to examine this topic because I'm always circling back to it. I'm always talking about it in real time when games are going on. I can promise you during the course of football season, there will be many, many episodes dedicated to this simple idea, especially when it comes to quarterback play. A place that a lot of people believe this is where winners win and losers lose. And if a quarterback lost, if their team lost, it's because of some inherent flaw within the quarterback rather than this all encompassing sphere that maybe let the quarterback down in some way, shape, or form. So I want to talk today more about basketball as I did yesterday because I've been thinking about it, I've been reading about it, and also it's the offseason and it's time to ruminate on subjects like this. Uh, And I want to start with Chris Paul, who lost a few months ago in the NBA Finals. He's played in the NBA for 16 seasons. He has not won an NBA championship. This year was the closest he has ever come. He had not made the finals before this year. Uh, And for a lot of people, he has been one representative in the NBA over the course of his career of this winners-win, losers-lose mindset, that there's some inherent flaw within Chris Paul uh, that causes his teams to not win the championship rather than my side, which is he's just kind of been unlucky. And sometimes he's not as good as the other team or the other team's best player, as was the case with Giannis and the Bucs. That's just the way of the world sometimes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that this person is trash or bad or not one of the very best point guards that we've ever seen. So I'm going to read something from Rob Mahoney of The Ringer that was written pretty soon after Paul had lost in the finals. In a way, it's Paul's job to feel that loss acutely, to internalize it, to respond to it, and ours to understand that losing is not always failure. Paul had so much to gain in this series, but so little to prove. He's already one of the best to ever play his position, which is to say, one of the best to ever play the game. There's a reason, after all. He's a Hall of Fame point guard, open and shut. One of just three active players basketball reference gives a 100% probability for enshrinement in Springfield. There is simply no argument to the contrary. Even in defeat, what Paul accomplished in these playoffs only bolsters his first-rate credentials, if what makes a loss like this so painful is the difficulty of even reaching the finals, then the very act of getting there is an achievement. That's not a moral victory. It's just a fact of life in the NBA. borne out by the career of an all-time great player who toiled for 16 years to get close enough just to glimpse the summit. End quote. The very act of getting there is an achievement. I want to start there. Something that I am continually preaching when it comes to all sports, including basketball. Something that I found to be very strange when I engage with, these, uh, w- with the winners-win-losers-lose crowd and kind of debate this subject and try to logically string together how we're getting to this destination. I always find it strange that within the realm of the NBA, getting to the NBA Finals and losing is always considered to be worse than losing in the first round or not making the playoffs. And the idea that Paul finally getting close enough to the mountaintop that he can see it, but then losing, that's somehow more of a black mark than losing in the first round or not making the playoffs together. It's something that I've always found strange about the way LeBron's career is covered and that his finals record is held against him because he's lost a handful of times, uh, all but two of those times as heavy, heavy, heavy underdogs. And this is somehow worse than if he had just been bowing out in the first round or the second round. It's something that has never really made a lot of sense. Now, when it comes to the individual, I mentioned Chris Paul, mentioned LeBron, uh, and there's a lot of other people throughout the course of the NBA history that kind of fall into these categories of winners win and losers lose. Uh, Your individual performance, it always matters up to a certain point. Um, That's obvious but the outcome is always dictated kind of by a million different things, a lot of which you can't control. You look out into another sport and I say there's not really, if there is a difference, it's minimal between quarterbacks like John Elway or Dan Marino. But according to public perception and according to the winners win, losers lose crowd, uh, the separation there is going to be, well, John Elway, he won two Super Bowls, his final two years of his career. And that's what makes him a better quarterback than Dan Marino. There must have been some sort of flaw within the way that Marino played quarterback compared to Elway. And that's why we have clear separation because team success is on Elway's side and not on Marino's side. It's the separator in the public eye. Again, something that I don't love and something that I always push back against. Now, I am talking about the sport of basketball today for the most part, because I think basketball is the most interesting sport to examine through this prism. And especially when I want to talk about the impact that one individual can have on winning a championship. Uh, Because basketball, a sport where you are one of five players on the floor at any given time for your own team, one of 10 total, you play offense and defense in the confines of a playoff series, you can play heavy minutes, So if I'm the best player and my coach wants to ride me for 44 out of 48 minutes, that's reasonable and acceptable within the world of basketball. Meaning you have a lot more ability to impact a game than Dan Marino or John Elway does, where they are quarterbacks within an offense where a play caller is responsible for plays and your offensive line is responsible for blocking, receivers for catching, running backs for running. You're not on the field for about half or more of the snaps that are played within a football game because you do not play defense, you do not play special teams. In basketball, you have a lot more ability to impact whether or not your team wins or loses. I think that's why the winners win, losers lose mindset really comes out strongly within the sport of basketball in the world of the NBA. Uh, And as I look at the sport, you know, it would be foolish to say that this is not a star-driven league. Or that stars are the quickest pathway to contention. Both of these things, those are true. We know this. Um, However, it's also hard a lot of the times to judge and quantify the impact of one individual on a team. Especially when it comes to the playoffs and winning and losing. You remember in yesterday's show, it was all about Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz. Kind of a hot topic issue of the NBA offseason because he's really, really, really uh, come to symbolize the regular season versus playoffs debate. Again, that was all of yesterday's show. Gobert, three-time defensive player of the year, widely regarded as one of the best defenders in basketball for the last five plus years. Uh, His team and himself have fallen short of expectations in the playoffs, on the defensive side of the ball. And so a lot of what I was asking yesterday was, I think the question starts with what are reasonable expectations for how much one individual can impact a team defense, period. Let's start there. And then number two, how much can an individual impact a team defense when he's on a roster that has a lot of below average defenders? That was yesterday's show. And I think those are all really valid questions and interesting topics to examine within an NBA offseason. I look at somebody who is essentially the inverse of Rudy Gobert, a player like Dame Lillard on Portland, another NBA offseason talking point because he's involved with a lot of trade rumors and it seems like he might not be super happy in Portland. Uh, I look at him and I go, what are reasonable expectations for a player like that? A player with clear, noticeable strengths, uh, offensive fulcrum, can bomb the hell out of the basketball, can be kind of a one-man offense unto himself. But much like Gobert brings noticeable flaws on the offensive end, uh, Lillard is that on the defensive end. And so he needs a team structured around him to accentuate those strengths and kind of cover up those weaknesses. That's how you have to build a team around stars in general, but especially stars that aren't the very, 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 very best. Essentially, Kevin Durant and LeBron James, players with no noticeable weaknesses. Uh, Outside of those two, even a player like Giannis, who just won the championship, who a lot of people think is in contention now for the very best player in basketball, he has noticeable flaws. Uh, He struggles to shoot jumpers and three-pointers, and he really struggles to shoot at the free-throw line consistently. Now, when it comes to Dame Lillard and it comes to this idea of I am dependent upon my situation, even though a lot of people would agree that he's one of the 10 best players in basketball, I think that's part of why he is showing discontent with playing in Portland and looking at his surroundings and saying, in order to win, I need help. Everybody needs help. Even LeBron and Kevin Durant need help. And I don't think this place has done the best job of maybe maximizing my skill sets and again, covering up, covering up my weaknesses because they are there. And that's why he might seem like he is tired of his time in Portland and wants to go somewhere else. Now, I mentioned LeBron and Durant. And I want to focus on them because they represent the two best basketball players I have watched for the last 15 years. And when it comes to the topic of today's show, Winners win, losers lose, and how much an individual can have when it comes to, win, or how much impact an individual can have when it comes to winning a championship. I, I want to kind of perform a thought exercise to give you all a window into the way that I think when it comes to this subject. Uh, something that I think gets pushed to the side a lot, and also one, uh, also a, a topic and an idea that I really, really am constantly thinking about on a daily basis in how I watch sports. So the exercise that I want to perform, it pertains to LeBron James and kind of an alternate reality where he has stayed with the Cleveland Cavaliers for his entire career. Now, I'll preface this by saying I believe LeBron is the best basketball player ever. Uh, Nobody is more into and aware of his basketball ability than I. I'm one of those people. He's My favorite basketball player ever. Uh, He is the funnest basketball player ever to watch for me. And I don't think I've ever watched anybody play basketball at a higher level. We're starting the discussion there. Now, I also believe that that can be true. And if LeBron had stayed in Cleveland and they had continued to build their team in the way that they did for his first seven seasons in the league before he left, that there is a very realistic world where LeBron would not have any championships. Uh, This ties into the way that I think and the way that I kind of... I think the logic of the winners-win and losers-lose crowd it is unraveled. So if you walk back in time with me to LeBron in his first stint with Cleveland, he comes in, they missed the playoffs, his first year, he shows a lot of stuff. Second year, they're in the playoffs. Much quicker than anybody thought. And LeBron's already an all-NBA player. He's pointing towards this superstar path and just a generational-style talent, which he turns out to be. Now, Cleveland starts from that point forward to bungle the way that this team is built in order to first nurture LeBron's growth, but also build a winning roster around him that allows LeBron to grow on his own, but also to grow with other players and to build up chemistry that is integral to winning in the NBA over the course of seasons and seasons and seasons. Something that you really want to do when you have a young superstar because that's the quickest pathway to contention and the most sustainable path, the best of all the worlds. Uh, you get younger style talent. You let it grow alongside your true superstar. They learn how to play with one another. They learn how to maximize strengths, cover up weaknesses. And that's how you have a, a team that can win for a decade or a decade plus. Now, Cleveland did not follow that game plan. They started looking at it going, all right, this is our year. And they kind of went into a panic mode. Part of that, I think, was motivated by We need to convince LeBron to stay here. And the easiest way to convince somebody to stay is to win. And so we're going to start trying to kind of sell out with a lot of roster moves that weren't that great and putting ill-fitting talent around LeBron and a lot of times ill-fitting just players that didn't have a lot of talent. And that's how we're going to try to build a winning team in present day. And maybe we're not thinking towards next season or towards two seasons down the road or towards five seasons and building a more sustainable trajectory of a winning basketball team. That's not what they did. Now, this was problematic on two levels. One, because they were prisoners of the moment, but just as important, they were really bad at evaluating who was needed within the moment. So rather than at least getting talent that worked for that individual season, they just whiffed time and again on who they were bringing onto their roster. Now, I went back and and looked at LeBron's games played with teammates during that stint and who he had accumulated the most games played with, because I just wanted to jog my memory. I watched all this stuff. I remembered it well. It's kind of a sore spot for me because I think that Cleveland did LeBron a disservice during that time, but I wanted to remember who he was playing with. And as I go down the list of the teammates that he played the most games with, you'll get a sense of what was going on during this time. Zajunas Ilgaskis, number one on that list. And then we go down in order of most games played. Anderson Varejao, Sasha Pavlovich, Drew Gooden, Boobie Gibson, Eric Snow, Ira Newble, Damon Jones, Mo Williams, Daniel Marshall. I could keep reading, but you get the point. Very, very depressing collection of roster talent when you're trying to value yourself as a contender. Now, it's a testament to LeBron's skills and strengths as a player that by the end of his tenure there, Cleveland was winning 60 plus regular season games. But they were not a playoff-style basketball team because LeBron could cover up a lot during an 82-game season. And within 16-game season, the playoffs, all of their flaws when it came to the roster itself were manifested. So you had these playoff flameouts against Boston his last year in the second round, or against Orlando the conference finals the year prior, and people held LeBron accountable for that. Which, when you listen to that list of people I just read, it's so, so, so insane. Even more so in retrospect, but it was at the time, and a great point of frustration for me, that the main talking point of this era, whether it was from casual NBA fans, hardcore NBA fans, or people who covered the sport of basketball, the point of discussion was that LeBron, on that team, with those players, couldn't win a championship. It's that winners-win-losers-lose mindset that I think just submarines every meaningful discussion that can possibly exist within the world of sports. So we know LeBron goes on to leave in 2010. He wins two championships with Miami. He wins a championship in his return to Cleveland in 2016. He wins another championship two seasons ago with the Lakers. However, for the purposes of this discussion and this thought exercise... I want to split into this alternate reality where LeBron stays with Cleveland. He doesn't leave. He doesn't go and do the decision on ESPN. He just says, I'm coming back to Cleveland. And Cleveland says, okay, that's great. We are going to continue to build a roster around you just like we've been doing for the last seven seasons. Accumulating roster talent like I just read. Zydrunas Ildakoskas down to Daniel Marshall. Uh, Making a lot of ill-advised prisoner of the moment trades where... We trade for a totally over the hill Shaq who does not fit whatsoever on this roster like they did and trading for Larry Hughes and plugging him in at shooting guard and giving up valuable assets for him when the impact that he had was just, it was minimal. And now in this world, obviously Cleveland is not drafting high because LeBron guarantees a certain amount of regular season success on a team. So you don't have the luxury of drafting Kyrie number one overall when you bought him out. You don't even have the luxury of drafting in the lottery. You're continually picking in the 20s because, yeah, Cleveland was still winning 60 games by the end of his tenure there. Um, You don't have championship success on your resume. So it's a lot harder, like in the real world, when LeBron had two rings and he went back to Cleveland, to A, already have Kyrie there, but B, be able to lure Kevin Love there by saying, look, I've won championships. We have a roster with talent, me, you, Kyrie. That's a great big three. Uh, In this alternate reality, LeBron doesn't have that luxury because it's a lot harder when people have watched those moves from afar for a decade plus to go to other stars within the league and say, you should come to this tire fire of an organization that has not won, despite having me on it, continual MVP of basketball, you should come here. That's a really hard thing to do. So when you take that line of logic to its inevitable end and you walk into present day, I ask, you know, is it conceivable that a player in that situation, even one of LeBron's caliber, again, a player who I believe to be the very best player of all time, but wherever you stand on that debate, everyone would agree one of the very best basketball players that has ever played in the NBA. Is it conceivable that a player like that could never win a championship? Some people would say no, because I think some people are wedded to winners win and losers lose. And if you are the very best, you should win on a team level. I do not believe that because based upon the situation that I laid out, I think it's very conceivable that a player like that could never win a championship. I just, I will go to my grave believing that that is true. Even in the sport that I think people would agree, an individual has the most impact on whether or not their team could win a championship. I think even within that sport, you could have the very best player. And if they were in a rotten situation for their whole career, they could be championshipless. I mentioned Kevin Durant before. And I think he is also an interesting player to look at through this lens. Because in present day, I think there's a lot of steam that is gaining for Kevin Durant as the best basketball player on planet Earth. LeBron, he's getting older. he's suffered some injuries. Durant has come roaring back from his Achilles tear. Awesome last year for Brooklyn. Awesome in the Olympics as he led USA to the gold medal. And I think the... I would say probably the consensus within the NBA is Kevin Durant is the best basketball player on earth in present day. Now, there's an alternate reality with him that's not really that far-fetched at all where he doesn't join the 73-win Warriors team that had won a championship and made two straight NBA finals and then Durant joined and won a couple NBA championships in his own right. There's an alternate reality where he doesn't join that team and he stays in Oklahoma City. And he's constantly fighting Russell Westbrook for the ball like he had done earlier in his career, uh, which was a total disservice to Kevin Durant's talents, part of why he actually left that organization. It's not that far-fetched to see Kevin Durant staying on Oklahoma City, fighting with Russell Westbrook, and not having a championship in present day. Again, Kevin Durant, who I believe is the second best basketball player I have watched over the last 15 years, right behind LeBron. And that's not a diss on Kevin Durant. Um... I don't think that that's that far-fetched of a scenario where Kevin Durant would be sitting here in 2021, and everybody would agree, this is the best basketball player on planet Earth right now, and he would not have a championship. I don't think that either of those scenarios are that far-fetched. And I also think that if you take that logic and examine it, it really... It makes the winner's win and loser's lose mindset very, very, very strange because this is the sport, basketball, where you can have the most impact, but even within that sport, there are very real pathways to where a team that is awesome or a player that is awesome can be on a team that never, ever wins a championship. So we've looked at stars in basketball. You expand it out, you know, quarterbacks in football, best player on a hockey team, go down the list, best player on a baseball team. It will always be strange to me how team success is always so heavily weighted when it comes to discussing and examining individual impact. Because again, in basketball, it still is limited relative to what we think. And you get into some of these other sports and a quarterback sitting on the sideline watching their defense and special teams botch everything. And we're judging a quarterback based upon that. Or we're looking at a hockey player who is playing 22 minutes a night in a 60 minute game. And they're one of five pieces of of a unit and six, including a goaltender on their own team. That's just moving around and there's puck luck and all that kind of stuff. And we're holding them accountable. And a baseball player who comes up to bat once every so often and plays out in right field, we're judging them for their team success. You know, in most people's estimation, Tom Brady is a better quarterback than Aaron Rodgers because his team has had more success. It's just not a line of logic I can ever really follow. Uh, it's the same idea that Connor McDavid could be viewed as a failure because the Edmonton Oilers have just been a train wreck of an organization his entire tenure there. And so he's been the best player in hockey pretty much his entire career there. And yet they have had very limited success on a team level. And he is accountable for that. within a sport where individual impact is even more limited than basketball. Uh, so, so we kind of circle back to the themes that have been threaded throughout this whole show. Starts with that paragraph about Chris Paul. Losing is not always failure. Uh, And that is especially true on an individual level where you can make these otherworldly contributions and still lose. Think of Kevin Durant in that Milwaukee Bucks series where he was, he played as good as I've ever seen Kevin Durant play and his team ended up losing. Uh, Think of LeBron James in the 2015 NBA Finals when Kyrie fractures his kneecap Loves out with a separated shoulder, and he drags a decrepit collection of roster talent to game six against the Warriors, a significantly better basketball team. He's averaging 38-point triple-double in every single game, and his team lost. That is possible. That's why losing is not always failure. That's why it actually can be a high watermark on a player's resume if you're willing to engage with the idea that, yeah, you can perform awesome in a loss. So even in basketball, the sport where one individual player can have the biggest possible impact relative to other sports, the outcome can rarely, rarely, rarely be distilled into the simple statement that we started the show with. Winners win, losers lose.